Welcome back to the Jewish Growth Podcast. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin. It's great to connect with you today. Over the years, I've been struck by a comment from Rashi that appears in our Parsha Vayera. When the first plague occurs, Hashem says to Moshe, Lechal paro baboker hamaima. Go out to Paro in the morning. Behold, he goes out to the water. What exactly was Paro doing at the river in the morning? Rashi comments that Paro went out there to relieve himself every morning. Why did Paro have to go through this ritual? The answer is he presented himself to his people as a god who did not have normal bodily functions. And so he took care of his needs in a manner that he wouldn't blow his godly cover. He just went for a casual swim, and that's how he relieved himself. Well, when I was younger, this idea of a leader making himself into a god sounded far-fetched to me. But the truth is, when we look at history, we can see just how true this is. In my own life, I have become fascinated by totalitarian regimes. Recently, I was reading some interviews with people who escaped from North Korea, and they described how they were taught in their youth that Kim Jong-un, members of his family, control the weather, amongst other things. And it takes years after escaping North Korea for people like this to get past these ideas about the Kim family. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to delve into the mind of a totalitarian leader, Paro. On one level, Paro enslaved the Jewish people. But on another level, perhaps even more so, he enslaved himself. In today's Jewish Growth Podcast, we're going to take a deeper dive into the mind of Paro. In the process, we're going to gain some vital perspective about how to live in that great world out there, not to mention how to live in our own inner world. And plus, as we begin 2022, it's a great time to think about how we can reignite ourselves for a calendar year of success. So stay tuned with me for all of this and for more. We find that the Almighty hardened Paro's heart. How could it be that Paro's free will was taken away from him? This is a famous question, and there's a number of answers to this. Rashi, for example, says that God hardening Paro's heart in the later Makos, or plagues, was a response to Paro's hardening his own heart in the earlier Makot. And so this is the idea that the Yetzer, the evil inclination, can grow over time. It's reminiscent of a Gemara in Sukkah 52a that discusses how our evil inclination can grow and expand. Rav Asi says that the inclination begins like a strand that is as thin as a strand of hair. But as we repeat our sins, it becomes thick as cords of rope. This comes from a verse in Yeshayahu, which says, Woe unto those who draw iniquity with cords of nothingness, and in the end, sin with a cart rope. The Talmud says that in the future, God will slaughter the evil inclination in the presence of both the tzaddikim, the righteous, as well as the rishayim, the wicked. At that time, the tzaddikim will see their great accomplishment and they will ask, How is it that we were able to conquer this great mountain? On the other hand, the Rishayim, the wicked, will see this small strand and they will say, How is it that we didn't overcome this thin strand? The Yetzer, the evil inclination, is something that can grow and develop. Perhaps Paro began his path with some rational basis in reality, but in the end his Yetzer grew and he lost all rationale. As we see his advisors asking him, 
Hatarim Tedaki of Demitzrayim, do you not yet know, Paro, that Egypt is lost? And it's in moments like these where we see how much of a slave Paro is unto himself. He's holding on to the Jewish people, but he's under the control of his own Yetzer to the point of his self-destruction and the destruction of his people. And of course, that's only amplified later as he chases the Jewish people into the Yamsuf, where he finds his demise in the Sea of Reeds. There is a telling moment in the middle of Egypt unraveling. The magicians replicate each of God's plagues as they come along, affirming the very first thing that Paro relayed to Moshe and Aaron. I don't know God. I don't know Hashem. And in any case, I'm not about to listen to him. And then God brings a third plague of lice or kinim. And the necromancers are unable to reproduce this one, declaring, Etzba Elohimhi, this is the finger of God. Why is it that they were unable to reproduce the lice? Rashi explains that lice are tiny, smaller than a grain of barley. A grain of barley is the smallest item that can become tame, ritually impure. The necromancers operate through forces of tuma impurity and therefore cannot rule over these tiny items that are not subject to the forces of impurity. And the Maharal of Prague adds a critical explanation. Why is it that an object smaller than a grain of barley cannot become tame? And the reason is because it's so small that it's not viewed as an independent object. Such a tiny item is subsumed within the totality of creation. Something the size of a grain of barley or larger is viewed as an item that has its own identity in the eyes of the lacha, but not so a smaller item. Now add to this, that the totality of creation cannot become impure. Only specific objects within creation, tiny things like a grain of sand or dust or lice, are just not viewed as independent objects and are simply seen as part of the general world. While God will allow the forces of impurity to operate over individual items, they cannot rule over klal ha'olam, the totality of the world, God is always driving that big picture of our world. And so the tiniest objects subsumed into creation do not become impure. Man is given free will in many areas. Man can deny God. But in the end, Klala Olam, the world, is run by God. While those who operate with the forces of impurity can affect individual objects, they can't change the trajectory of creation. And that's one of the deepest lessons that Paro had to learn. He had this great drive to control the Jewish people. And he thought he was controlling the Jewish people and the world. Now, true, he could affect objects and people, and even there, only temporarily. In the short run, he couldn't control the whole world. And in the long run, he would lose control of everything, most of all, himself. And so... As we stand back from this picture, we're seeing that overcoming the tyrant Paro goes hand in hand with demonstrating the sovereignty of Hashem. The two concepts, Paro as a God or Hashem as our creator, are polar opposites. There's really two critical perspectives that we can derive from this. And one is a perspective on the whole world. The other is a perspective on our inner world. Now, looking broadly, the Torah offers us a foundation for freedom. The foundation of the entire Exodus is that only Hashem is all-powerful 
and only God is appropriate to serve. When Moshe stood at the burning bush, God told him that the sign that God sent you to take the Jewish people is like this. When you take out the nation from Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. The whole message of the Exodus is, don't devote your life to Paro, to flesh and blood, only devote your life to Hashem. Thomas Paine, the atheist author of Common Sense, actually looked to the story of the Exodus he quoted extensively in Common Sense from the Exodus to provide a philosophical basis for why human freedom has to be. Benjamin Franklin also quipped that rebellion against tyrants is obedience to God, a clear reference to the Exodus. Why was it that a person like Thomas Paine, who didn't believe in God, had to look to the book of Exodus of all places for his foundational ideas of human rights for freedom? And the answer is that an all-powerful God is the bedrock upon which the concept of human freedom rests. But then there's our world. Just like Paro, we too are individuals. We pull the strings in our lives, even as God is pulling the strings of creation. And the greatest thing that we can do is to climb that Har Gavoa, the high mountain, and get free to serve Hashem. How do we do this? The answer ultimately is that we take small steps. I'll give you an example. This past week, the Mishnah Yomi cycle, which completes the entire mission in six years, began its cycle anew with brachos. Now, it's hard to imagine learning the entire Torah, and yet we can take these little strings, one Mishnah, one night, another night, another Mishnah, and tie them together string by string, tie enough strings together, and pretty soon you have a long rope and a lifeline at that. So here's one thing that you can do to make your 2022 successful and free. Jump onto a daily learning program like Mishnah Yomi and start to string together small successes every day. And remember, with patience and with perseverance, every single one of us can climb the great mountain. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,